Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. On this episode of the show, we are talking all about pre-vet advising, right? And so um, if you tuned into our last episode, we had uh, Dr. Jim Lloyd and I were discussing the monograph that we recently published at AABMC that found uh, evidence of bias in favor of some applicants, particularly those who were male, um, who were um, not first generation, but kind of successive generation um, uh, educated, not those folks from that were not from low-income backgrounds, but from more, more affluent backgrounds. And in some cases, we also found some evidence of bias um, against applicants of color. Um, what we did not look specifically at in that study um, uh, was whether or not applicants from underrepresented backgrounds uh, seek pre-vet advising at the same rate. So uh, in preparation for this show, um, I went back into the data set and took a look at this year's applicant pool that will be seated this fall. And so in the most recent uh, applicant pool, more than half, about 56% of applicants reported not meeting with an advisor prior to vet school, um, to, prior to applying to vet school. Um, and applicants who identified as non-white were less likely to have visited an advisor. Access to advisors typically is cited as the primary reason. Um, there may not have been a pre-health or pre-veterinary advisor on campus. The availability of um, pre-vet, pre-health or academic advising was really kind of inconvenient or too difficult to actually access. Um, and, you know, it's just really sometimes hard to kind of figure out how to connect with those folks. So um, we know that academic um, and pre-vet pre-vet, pre-health advising can really be helpful in giving applicants that last kind of push um, of guidance before hitting the submit button with VimCast. And if a substantial portion of the pool aren't seeking that type of advising or don't have access to it for whatever reason, um, what can we do about it? And what does that really tell us about what's happening in terms of equity and inclusion in the pool? So to discuss all of this today, I am delighted to welcome my two guests, uh, Alex Avellino from University of Florida. Go Gators, right? Okay, so following uh, Dr. Lloyd, <laughs> Dina Meredith, and uh, someone that a lot of us know very, very well, Tony Wynn, who is now with National Association of Advisors for the Health Professions, right? Yes. yes. All right. So as is our custom on this show, I invite my guests to tell us a little bit more about themselves. So Alex, why don't we start with you? Thank you so much, Dr. Greenhill, Lisa, for having me on today. I'm very excited to chat with you. I am a double gator, which means I went to UF for my bachelor's and my master's degree. I've been working at the UF College of Vet Med for almost six years. I have had thousands of appointments with veterinary hopefuls. A lot of them are starting to graduate. So it's really 
wonderful to see the folks that I advised many years ago make their way uh, across that commencement stage. And that's thrilling. And I'm just really happy to be here to help maybe shed a little bit more light on what the advisor's role is for helping underrepresented veterinary students. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. Tony, welcome back. We missed you so. I've missed you as well. I hope you're well. Um, Tony Wynn, I'm the executive director of the National Association of Advisors for the Health Professions. I've uh, been in this role for, uh, gee, a year and a half at this point. Uh, I had just started when they handed me a pandemic, um, which was pleasant. Uh, and I've been at home since. So um, uh, the past year and a half has been really eye-opening. Uh, being an alumni of AABMC, um, I obviously uh, have a soft spot for all things pre-vet and vet-related. And um, through the advising community, I've, I've learned... Uh, really fascinating uh, things about behaviors of, of students, not just pre-vet, but all pre-health, uh, and how advisors uh, handle those, those behaviors. Um, so this is a great opportunity to not only talk about pre-vet, but also talk about um, pre-health advising as a whole and how we can help um, provide opportunities for these students. So I'm, I'm psyched to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So why don't we dig in? So, Tony, we've seen a lot of growth in our um, applicant population um, and the population is becoming more diverse, which is absolutely great. Certainly, I think most uh, graduate and professional programs, certainly in the health profession, saw a big um, applicant increase this year. I've been kind of warily telling people don't get too used to this. This is the type of phenomenon that happens when, you know, we have economic downturns or, you know, major traumatic events, all of which seem to be happening. Right? Um, and so, you know, folks finish undergrad and they're, you know, they're like, hmm, this looks really unstable. So I think I'm going to go back to school. <laughs> right. <laughs> And typically they were already thinking about going back to school. So it's not like, you know, these are folks that just off the cuff said, hey, I'm going to apply to vet school or med school or pharmacy or whatever. Um, but for example, this year we did see, you know, nearly one in three of our applicants were applicants of color this year. And so, you know, I think that that um, are we with these increases in diversity, certainly not just in vet med, but but across the board, um, is that changing advising any? Well, you know, how are folks kind of reacting? I, I think it is. Um, I, 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 you know, should I say that we're turning the corner and we're doing everything right? No, I can't say that. Uh, but I think that there is more mindfulness in, um, in the students that are being advised. Um, I think there's, there's more mindfulness on how do we identify the obstacles that this student that might be sitting in front of me uh, might bring to the table. And, and I think advisors are thinking a little more outside of the box uh, on how to, uh, how to take those challenges and, and make them into a positive thing for those students who want to apply. I do hear it more often in the chatter and the, and the listservs uh, amongst advisors that diversity, equity, and inclusion as a whole has become much more of a thing. And, and I'm, I'm pleased to see it. And of course, at the National Association, we've made DEI a, a pillar of our association. Uh, so we're, we're helping train um, and educate our advising community. Great, great. 
So Alex, what's your experience been down there at uh, UFL? As a um, protege of Dr. Jim Lloyd, you know, the second I started in this role as advisor recruiter, I knew recruiting underrepresented minority students was part of my role. So I think I'm really blessed in that this is nothing new for me being here for almost six years. That's always been on my radar. So as an, and it was my first role as an advisor. So I kind of started off knowing this is honestly priority one to be aware of these students, to know what their challenges or obstacles are um, and opportunities. I read Navigating Diversity and Inclusion Vet Med the first week I was here. So I think when it comes to seeing students of color, I, I feel like I'm seeing a proportion amount to when I started because I was actively seeking them out. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's not for me. It hasn't been, wow, I'm seeing more lived experiences, more backgrounds. I'm just, I just get excited every time they come on the Zoom or in the office because I'm like, yes, let's get you here. So um, things I feel are, we're just more aware. It's like, like Tony mentioned, there's more chatter about like, oh, this is important. I'm like, it's been important. This isn't new. So for me, I'm like, oh, finally, people are waking up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We're also seeing um, increases in um, the population of first generation and students coming from um, lower income backgrounds, right? And and we know really clearly, you know, Tony um, for a number of years was my uh, research buddy at AABMC, and and we really started looking at these populations, and um, you know, they have been pretty steady at twenty to twenty five percent of our pool for a number of years. This year, it's a, it's a bit higher, about 30%. But recognizing that these are folks that are navigating higher ed often for the first time, they don't, I mean, or, you know, they're, they don't have um, a, a family history that kind of says, okay, this is how you do this. This is where you go there, right? Even just filling out the FAFSA, which, you know, we keep hearing, okay, it's going to get easier. It's going to get easier. It's going to get easier. What I found just as a, as a parent is that the form itself is not hard. The technology is awful (laughs) to get it filled out. (laughs) It's just, you know, it's, it's not the form. It's just, you know, the setup is, is, is miserable. Um, But with this in, um, you know, increasing diversity, particularly for for folks that are just kind of like, okay, I'm really new here. (laughs) You know, what is that experience like, Alex? You know, how do you, how do you kind of, you know, funnel them in direction? It's really hard because a lot of times by the time they get to me, there is that moment of, it's almost, it could be a little too late to help them navigate those waters. And then we have to talk about, okay, here are the new steps you have to take. And what I'll say anecdotally as a non-first generation college student, so I was not first gen, but It wasn't my parents who helped me. It was my high school advisors who helped me understand how to get to where I got. And that's because I was at a really great school in like an upper middle class area. So I think there's a lot of factors going on there because sometimes a lot of the vet students that I have, their parents were super hands off, but they were at schools that had the AP, the IB programs to help the students know, like FAFSA, sign up. And my my parents didn't know what that was, but the schools helped that too. So I think there's a combination of things happening. When I see a student and, you know, Lisa, I read the the monograph that y'all wrote and seeing how 
the students who come from maybe like a lower SES background or first gen or rural areas, and that's where they want to end up going to do the work. I'm like, we really need those students. We really need to, as an advisor, help them see their options, give them as many possibilities as possible, help become a mentor to them. That's a hard space because sometimes they've started a community college. Maybe they were working part-time or full-time to help their family or help themselves and their grades aren't so hot. So that's a tricky, very complex space I found. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's it's interesting that you're running into a population of students whose parents are not lawnmowering, <laughs> bulldozing the world. Having worked oh, yeah. free, I know that there are those parents. <laughs> there definitely are, but I, it's totally anecdotal, but I've asked the vet students and I even told them one time, and I asked them one question that I thought was really interesting. I said, at what age did you really start thinking about vet med? And our current students were like junior in college. Mm. And that told me, because I usually the students who have the hover parents, the helicopter parents are super young. So I'm like, where is the disconnect between getting here and having parents that either are hands-on, hands-off? I'm not sure. There could be a whole backstory of maybe not being first gen. You're just raised in a different environment where education is constantly around you. So it's normal. I don't know, but it's complex. Mm, Tony, want to weigh in? Yeah, I, you know, I think that the the job of the high school counselor um, is 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 becoming more and more important. And and Alex, your 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 comments about you know what you learned from your counselor before you got even into undergraduate is is so important. I, I think that again, anecdotally, there's there's a um, there's a shame in being um, disadvantaged, quote unquote, um, and and admitting so. Low income, for instance, is not something you're gonna you're gonna advertise. And if you if you're breeding these students in in a younger age in high school, for instance, um, to be comfortable with their background and who they are and and how to achieve their goals, then by the time they get to undergrad, if if they're meeting with the right people. Um, they're going to have that pathway a lot easier than than you know feeling sh- shame for for whatever their background is. Um, so I, I think that's the the low income. That's the um, you know I, I'm afraid of where I came from, and it's going to hurt me in my application. Um, even first generation, I, to admit that you don't know something is is actually a, a positive thing. Um, and, and I think more students are beginning to be taught that at a younger age. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the big trends then um, as applicant pools become more diverse and um, technology um, advances, there's a pandemic, so, you know, we're not all hanging out together anymore. Um, how, what are some of the big trends, Tony, in advising um, more generally, but also, you know, what are advisors, what are advisors doing or what can they do to really try to get to these students who really need them the most in undergrad um, and often don't have access? Um, you mean the students that don't have access to technology to be able to connect with their advisor? Is that what you're, you're So referring? I'm talking about advising in general because a, oh, lot okay. of, yeah. um, a lot of underrepresented students anyway, um, you know, applicants for our applicants 
um, embed med indicate that they don't necessarily have access to advisors. So, you know, what should they do and, and what can, you know, professional advising organizations like uh, NAHP do? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's, it's really critical that we, we um, increase the visibility and availability of advisors. Um, uh, we, we see students all the time reach out to us that say, I, I'm at XYZ University and I, there is no pre-health advisor. And clearly there is. Um, and we know, and we gear them, we, we steer them back to that individual, uh, that advisor. Um, so there's a disconnect in terms of what students are being taught and what they know. Um, but of course, we're also battling with the peer advising that's going on and the online advising. Um, so what is... You all know both know very well about that. Yeah. Um, so I think that what we're trying to do from a national level is is increase the visibility on all campuses of uh, access to an advisor. If you don't know that there's one, we'll find one for you. If there really truly is not one on your campus, we will uh, hook you up with somebody who's willing to volunteer some time to talk to you. Um, but we need to get that word out. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult in an age where this generation of students will check Google on how to get into school. Uh, And we're battling the misinformation that's out there because of it. Uh, So what we can do is continue to uh, enlist the students who have been successful and matriculate to say, I I spoke to my advisor and the advisor helped me. And that will tell the the incoming folks in the pipeline that advising is is a good thing and, and is needed. Alex, you had a very strong reaction when he said peer advising. Um, and incidentally, I just saw a TikTok video with someone giving advice, right? So just in case you weren't aware, pre, pre-vet advising seems to also be a thing on TikTok. I'm not recommending it, but I'm just saying it seems to be a thing. We're aware. Honestly, there's like 15 things Tony said where I was like, oh my God. Uh, like the empathy. Um, mm-hmm. So would you like me to address? Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling for a couple of reasons. One, let's talk about Google for a second. A lot of times I do tell students to go Google something. So if they're like, what are the course requirements? Go Google it because I do want them to have some independence to do their own research. And then if they want to check with an advisor, please do. When it comes to how to get into school, I don't think that's a wise move to Google unless you're using the explicit resources that an advisor like myself has developed, like our podcast or our eBooks. I, season four of our pre-vet podcast, I recorded advising sessions with students so they can listen to what an advising session sounds like and maybe you know get some advice from that. When it comes to the, I want to say young person, um, peer advising, it's really hard. When I see these folks on the Instagram page where it says like pre-vet coach, and I'm like, no, because you really know your lived experience. And if you want to help someone understand what you went through, great. But I feel very insecure, helpless, worried when students are calling themselves advisors because they haven't been trained. They haven't met thousands of students and they don't have the admissions committee two doors down to find out what's actually going on. Student doctor network, same thing. 
worries me. Now, if a student wants to connect another student with an opportunity for that experience, great, do it. But when it comes to advising, mentoring, coaching, that troubles me. That gives me big pause, big pause. Yeah, go ahead, please. Sorry, part of the misunderstanding, I think, is is the perception that if this student who was successful can tell me what they did, I can apply it to me. And, and it doesn't work that way. No. Right. Advisors, advisors' jobs are to say, given your unique set of who you are, then this is the path that we're going to put you on that, that hopefully will be successful for you. Um, so student, I feel bad for these students who are doing, you know, TikToks and, and, and believing the information they're getting saying, well, if Jane got in, then I can get in because I went to the same school. Yeah. That's not a criteria for success. And that's just a misunderstanding we have to fix. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll say I I have major, I know I have conscious bias about this. (laughs) I know I do. So let me say that anecdotally speaking. Let's say that there's like 30 of these peer advisors. I will say conservatively, 25 of them are a very unique case that (laughs) did not have the typical journey to vet med. And then they are now preaching, hey, I got in with these um, stats and I'm like, yeah. You're a rare case, which is wonderful. Happy for you. But then all of these other pre-vets are attracted to them because of that. And it gives them false hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I imagine that these students who are underrepresented, particularly, you know, underrepresented in the professions that they're seeking to go into, um, maybe having um, less access to professional advising. And, you know, I mean, they are probably at higher risk for leaning into some of these other um, maybe less effective, don't want to say unsavory, I'm pro TikTok. I'm not necessarily pro advising TikTok. There's <laughs> great fun stuff there. But, <laughs> but you know, I would imagine that, yeah, if you, I mean, it's just like any type of, you know, statistic, right? You take the one case that is significant and and somehow think that that is now the benchmark. And the echo chamber is not, right? Yeah. Well, although on the other hand, I will say if those peer advisors are getting underrepresented students into the profession and getting them help admitted into a school, then then I'm okay with it. Their advice might be not 100% accurate, but if it's working and they're brand ambassadors, here's 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 my thought, Tony. Get, get with me on this. <laughs> if there are brand ambassadors for the profession who are young folks who are on TikTok or whatever, maybe as advisors, we need to connect with them and be like, listen, I see that you have 20,000 followers on Instagram. Right. You are clearly popular with the young folks who want to get involved in this profession. Can I help coach you so you can coach them? Maybe that's what we should do. Can we provide you with resources? Can we provide you with additional platform? Yes. Um, absolutely. I think that the 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 critical thing to remember and, and the critical thing that we need to teach our younger pipeline participants is that advising is part of the pipeline. It's not a an option that you can kind of take or not advising if you want to be successful 
advising needs to be part of that, you know, recruitment, advising, mm-hmm. ad, admissions, matriculation, go be a doctor. Um, I, I think in the past, advising has sort of gotten a little bit of a bum rap um, at the undergraduate level because um, people forgot that they were part of the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And and I think that visibility, going back to that other conversation, is is the biggest challenge for pre-health advisors at the undergrad and even at the at the high school level is we are part of your journey. Don't forget that we're part. We can help you. Yeah. Yeah. They're there. They're to help. So um, so that begs the question, then, Tony, um, what is, prof- you know, the profession um, doing, the advising profession doing to kind of better prepare itself um, to engage and meet the needs of these uh, these populations that are underrepresented in, in really, I mean, it's not just vet med, but certainly <laughs> all across the health professions, but vet med has some unique, um, you know, even though I, I'm always like, we're not special. No. Okay. So we <laughs> might have some moments where vet med is, 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 is unique, um, you know, in terms of um, some of the other health professions, but, but really what are advisors doing to kind of you know, get better at this. What advisors are doing is is understanding that they don't know everything there is to know. Um, they're starting to learn what they don't know and how to find it uh, effectively and efficiently. Um, professional development uh, as a as a tool for continually um, uh, retraining themselves and and being more up to date and more in the know. Uh, if I'm a particular type of advisor and a student comes in asking about some other health profession, that advisor can still help them. Even if they're a nursing advisor and, and someone comes in and asks for vet med, they they are beginning to understand where they can go find resources. Um, that's critical. That's really critical. And And when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's the same thing. Understand what I don't know about how to manage this person's story and and still be positive about their experience. Um, So advisors are are very active, not only in chatter and discussion and sharing information between each other, but the National Association, um, Lisa, as you know, is putting a great emphasis on continual education. Um, What what do we need to help develop in advising uh, today? And tomorrow, and a year from now, and keep and keep revising that. So that's what we're doing. Great, great. And so you know, um, you mentioned something about um, have, helping advisors kind of uh, help students or, or prospective applicants, um, you know, kind of harness their story, make sure that they, you know, have these. Um, uh, ways of kind of thinking about their their personal narrative, right? Um, so there's been a lot of um, articles just recently, and actually there was one, um, a really interesting opinion op-ed piece, I think in the New York Times this weekend. Um, and it was a high school student. And I was like, wow, look at this high school student with this like New York Times op-ed. Um, but, you know, the, the student was talking about how as colleges, universities and colleges really kind of zero in and really try to pay more attention to um, diversity, equity, and inclusion in admissions. Um, There is this 
um, trend. We certainly see it in vet med where, you know, it's like, okay, so what is the essay question going to be? We need the diversity question, air quote, the diversity question. Um, so we want people to tell us, you know, how awful it's been. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, you know, that, that there is this kind of, um, the, the approach that a lot of committees um, uh, and, and admissions have taken is, hey, we really want your trauma porn. Show us how bad it is so that you can get in. Um, and, and that's a really tough thing. Um, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I kind of want to hear how do you, Alex, how do you how do you coach students through that? Yeah. So. From the University of Florida's perspective, which is I really tell students I can help them understand vet med admissions in general, but I really am the UF person. I am happy to hear that that's not how we approach our diversity essay. I didn't know that that's what some folks were doing. Um, I advise students for the diversity essay that, first of all, go look up what the definition of diversity is. Go watch some YouTube videos. Go listen to our podcast. Listen to this podcast so they can be a little bit more aware of what diversity is, why it's important, what are the factors, what are your identities, what is equity, what is inclusion, why does it matter in general, and why does it matter for this profession specifically? Mm -hmm. Then I tell them, let's talk about it. How are you different? How are you, what do you, what do you bring to the table today? I don't need to hear the boxes that you check. I need to hear if you choose a box to talk about, why do I care about that box? And we, I always tell them, make it positive. So um, <laughs> yes, I really encourage and for advisors who are listening, I think, I hope that's what admissions committee members are getting at, but maybe have not written it correctly. Uh, so in general, make it positive, help us understand how your diversity will help your future clients, help the profession. So I like to use the example for people who maybe don't get it. Um, if you speak another language, you can reach twice as many clients as someone who only speaks one language. So that's something you would want to market about yourself. That makes you different. That makes you helpful to the community. Maybe you are not diverse on paper, which I can't stand when students do that. Right. <laughs> but like, please talk about your allyship. Talk about how you've been an advocate. Talk about how you are educating yourself on issues that are going on around you. Talk to me about how you've had courageous conversations and you're willing to speak up in an uncomfortable situation. So from our perspective, we make it positive. <laughs> yes. Yes. I try and tell it, I try and tell advisors that it's okay to humanize your students. It's okay to encourage your students to be human on paper on their application, not just as Alex said, checking the boxes. Yes, I've met these requirements. I'm a shoe-in because I've done it. Um, I think the more human you treat students, the the better they feel about themselves and that will come out in the application. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and just to like, so I will say if a student has faced a challenge or an obstacle, let's use mental health, for example, and they're worried about writing about that, I tell them and encourage them that if it's something that has helped shape your life and has made you a stronger person and you have some grasp of this under control and you're ready to talk about it and how it shaped your academic journey, especially if it affected your grades and your transcript reflects that, I encourage them to chat about that in a 
positive, not fake, but in a, in a positive way and how like walk us through the steps. Don't give excuses, give reasons. So to that aspect, there is potentially a trauma piece there, Sure, but I'm not, if they haven't had anything horrific happen to them, I'm like, we can still write you a fabulous diversity (laughs) and that's okay. So it's great on both, on both sides of the spectrum. Like a camel didn't run you over. So you still have a good story. Like, it was like <laughs> okay, cause you know why too? Cause they're also following people on TikTok and Instagram who have these like checkered past, these yeah. like, intense tales and like nothing has happened to me yet. Yeah. And I'm like, that's okay. Let's make sure that that's not, that that's not true. If it is true. Cause some of the students really nothing has happened to them yet. They've had a very blessed, seamless life. I mean, I tell them like vet school is going to be tough, you know, because they haven't had to face a lot of the things that they're going to face sure. over here. But at this point, all of our applicants have gone through a pandemic. So I think they're good. <laughs> Talk about that. That's an excellent point. That's we're an excellent all point. in it. Right? Talk about it. So basically, like the 2021 essays are all going to be how I survived. Probably. Probably. We might have to start putting in the prompt, like avoiding COVID. Like, don't chat about that. But I mean, you know, I do think that it's important. And and one of those things that, you know, I am starting to talk more about with committees as they reach out and are looking for guidance around, you know, hey, we want a diversity related prompt. You know, how can we get students to, you know, tell us their story? And I'm like, okay, so what about the story do you want and would you find compelling? Um, or are we trying to assess other kinds of, of things, right? And so why don't we flip it and say, hey, I'm dropping you into a hypothetical situation. Um, can you navigate that? Or asking them, you know, so a lot of folks know my soapbox is like the experiential hours. I'm not anti-experiential hours. I just think that they need to be better defined and the rationale and all of that, blah, blah, blah. Soapbox to the side. Um But asking folks to kind of reflect on that and say, hey, like, you know, what was diverse about the team and how did they navigate that? And what did it look like? And what did success look like? And, you know, um, um, tell us about the kind of population, client population that was served by, you know, in this community. And how were these people able to get their needs met? All of those kinds of, of things that then still tells you that, um, you know, this the student didn't just fall off the back of a truck, <laughs> like they kind of have a level of awareness there um, that, that you know, can speak to um, some level of knowledge and just kind of recognizing that this is like, this is a thing. <laughs> this is a thing. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely tell my students in general, especially the ones who are struggling with the diversity essay, UF offers a minor in health disparities. Mm. And I tell them, I'm like, encourage you to take some of these classes. And if they have room in their um, schedule for a minor, you know, minors in general, like, I don't care if they get a minor. I really don't. However, if they go get a minor in health disparities, they're going to go be a doctor. They're going to be more aware of the clients that walk in their door. I think sometimes they forget that that human is attached to that animal. Uh, Even when they're doing research, there's a lot of these these human components that go into it. So I encourage them to go take a class, go take a LinkedIn learning training, like watch something that will help them be more in tune. And then the piece about the essay, sometimes I struggle with, it sounds like, you know, Lisa, maybe like, like you're asking like, what's the impact? Why are we even asking the question? I kind of think it should just be woven throughout the entire 
application, curriculum, professional development. I do some professional development with different groups of students. And sometimes like someone will say, well, where is the diversity and inclusion aspect of this? I'm like, it's literally in throughout the entire thing. <laughs> like yeah. leadership is about understanding diversity, equity, and yeah. inclusion. So we don't have to necessarily like vomit it onto the piece of paper. It should be woven throughout. And I think that's where hopefully folks are starting to get to, but yeah. it's going to take some time. Yeah. I think some of what, what could be missing on the advising side is the why. Um, not not down to the letter of write it like this so that we can give you a good grade uh, or a good review, but but understanding, okay, so all these different health professions are asking all these different diversity questions. What is it that they're getting to? What What is it that they technically want from this yeah. will help us be able to better advise students? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it was just about a checkbox, I can see that in your personal information. Right. I can see yeah. your race and ethnicity. I can see your gender. I can see your parent um, college status. Like I can see that you're first gen. I see it. So I, I wish they would kind of tap into that and be like, they already know this about me. And now some applications are blind. So maybe like we wouldn't see that from the admissions committee. That's fair. Sure. But I want them to dig a little bit deeper and be like, how can I make an impact with this essay and in the future? Sure, sure. So we do have a, a question from a viewer. Um, so when admissions criteria change, how should the colleges of veterinary medicine inform pre-vet advisors so that they have the most up-to-date information? Find that some pre-vet advisors give old information to students. And uh, Tony, so I know that, you know, this was something that you worked on when you were on AAVMC staff, and I'm sure it remains an issue. So, you know, what do you, how do you want us to give us, give us, uh, give you and your colleagues information? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a, a members forum um, that all the health profession representatives have access to. So any uh, important webinars, any important changes, any important events that are coming up, they can post there for all the advisors to see. Um, I think in future state, we will have a much better um, resource uh, bucket available for every health profession. So as new information comes in, the health profession representatives can just go post it and it will alert us that there's new stuff. Um, getting critical, timely information about what's new in the applications are so important to advisors, I can't even begin to tell you. And I think in the past, NAAHP has, uh, we have we had some challenges making sure we had uh, accurate data. Yeah, yeah. I mean, getting resources to, to folks sometimes has been hard. And I, certainly at AAVMC, we have now, you know, a lot of our resources, almost all of the resources are, you know, online versus, you know, we had this wonderful book. People love the book, but, you know. People love the book. <laughs> love the book. But, it's, but you know what? The online platform is amazing as well. Amazing. Yeah. Right. And amazing. so, you know, it's increasingly searchable. We're working on some of those things. Um, Diana Dabdub, our um, uh, director for admissions and recruitment, has done a really great job of you know, um, um, building on uh, a wonderful foundation that Tony left and, and really kind of thinking about how to push out information in a variety of, of different ways. So recognizing that, you know, when we do that, it's, again, we're trying to get, make sure that it's getting to advisors, 
But again, 56% of applicants just from this cycle report not going to an advisor. So these things are just, they, they also just need to be out there, right? <laughs> for the 56% of applicants who, for whatever reason, don't seek um, professional advising. I mean, half the vet students, I'll be like, how many of you talked to me before you got here? And it's really, it's just half of them. I'm like, well, congratulations to the right. other <laughs> for you. Um, however, that's not to say that the resources that we made available on the website and through VEMSAR, them using that essentially is a form of advising. Yes. Let's be real. Eventually, we're all going to be taken over by robots anyway. So having these resources <laughs> for them to find, I just think, to me, to ask advisors, let's say from University of South Florida, which is in Tampa, to ask their pre-health advisors to know everything that's going on at the vet school, every vet school is way too much. Let's let them know the VEMSAR exists. Point the student towards that. And then you help mentor and advise that individual student where they're at in their college journey. It's too much. And I wouldn't even want half the pre-health advisors to have to know what's going on because that's just a lot of pressure. They could get something wrong. I'd rather them meet with me and chat with me and then we kind of connect. I think one of the, one, one of the important factors here is that all of the resources are already on th these health professions websites and they're all up to date. They're kept up to date. Uh, instead of reinventing any wheels, we need to find better mechanisms for our advisors to access your websites. Um, and, and so all we need are pages on the, on the NAAHP site that link to the appropriate information they're looking for instead of downloading it, making a PDF that they can download. Come on. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of an antiquated way to, to manage it. Uh, we should so have a clearing. <laughs> What'd you say? It's so 2010. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, I, th I think there's a there's great opportunity to to tap into what all of you are already doing rather than than try and regurgitate it into something that has our logo on it. It makes no sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Alex, what do you want your advisor colleagues to consider with respect to diversity? And mm -hmm. sure. Happy to talk about it. I want my advisors to consider really holding back because I know you're tired. I want to look directly into the camera. I know advisors get tired. I'm tired too. I know you meet. It's a lot to have to stay quiet, be empathetic, listen to the same questions every single day, every single hour. I want everyone to really hold back from any negativity when any student comes in their office or in their zoom room, because that really can kill those students' confidence levels. I've heard from a lot of students telling me that their advisor told them, you will never go to vet school. That breaks now. On the one hand, sometimes they're right. However, I, I really do believe that any student who wants to go to vet school whose GPA is not abysmal can go. They just have to be willing to potentially move, wait, spend more money. I really think they can go. Again, if the GPA isn't bad, but when, and I'll speak, I've heard some high school teachers and I've, I've heard it. I've heard them talk about the students in the student's presence. Mm. So-and-so is not going anywhere. They're a disaster. And I'm like, I know they can hear you. And that messes them up. So I get it. I understand. I was a teacher for a long time. I know that sometimes there's like that vent moment, but I need you to have it 
when the students aren't around. Let's do it when they're not around. And when they are around, let's give them options with tough love. So I'll tell students all the time, I'm like, based on your current stats, you're not going to get reviewed. I can tell you that. Here's what you can do if you want to get reviewed by us. And here's what you want to do if you want to go to another school. Here are all of your options. But the second we bring that negativity and that you will never, you'll get some students who will be like, I'll show you, which makes us look bad. <laughs> but then you get the students who are like, I'm just going to drop out of the pipeline. So that's what I would say. Avoid the negativity and avoid the you will never. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I mean, I do, I mean, you know, there, there is research that um, students, uh, particularly racially and ethnically underrepresented students are more likely to hear that kind of messaging. Um, You know, they're, they're hearing it well before undergrad. Like, so, so it's like, you know, they're hearing it before undergrad, but again, there's like another wall. And, and, you know, one of the things, there was a um, article that, a former colleague and I, um, we published in NAHP's um, advisor journal about this and how, you know, there is also a lack of trust around um, pre-health and pre-vet advising um, with the, from this particular student population. And, and it gets at this kind of thing. Like if, if you're not rooting for me, why would I avail my, why would I make time to go spend time with you. Like it's miserable for both of us. Why would I do that? <laughs> it's like- I think two things help with that. One word of mouth. Yeah. So if they're, so I'll speak for a North Carolina A&T, um, Dr. Andrea Gentry Apple is their advisor. Yeah. I'm obsessed with her. She's amazing. <laughs> if she encourages her students to chat with somebody or apply to a school, they're going to do it because that trust is there. So if advisors build trust with other advisors that the students trust, that's an automatic opportunity. And if other students have had good experiences with the advisors, that's the other piece of the word of mouth. And then I think the second thing advisors can do is give presentations. So I give presentations all the time to pre-vet clubs, high school students. They see me that one time and like, oh, I now know this person. I have a face to a name. She seems fun. I'll go talk to her now. So the word of mouth and putting yourself in front of them in large groups might be the way a pipeline opportunity to get them in your office. Yeah, yeah. Has has the, oh, go ahead, Tony, please. Pre-health advising, talk about tough love. Pre-health advising doesn't always look like the body that they're advising. Right. And and that is a stigma and that, that is a problem as well. Um, Got to admit it, it's, it's the reality of, of the advising community. Um, we hope to change that, but, but um, you know, I think some of that distrust comes from, I need somebody that thinks like me, uh, someone that comes from my background, someone that, that I can relate to. And oftentimes the advising counselor isn't, isn't that person. I don't know how to change that, but I know it's an issue. Yeah, but I mean, it gets at that, need that's the type of thing when we're talking about the um you know um professional competencies uh, and and again not just in vet med but just across the board that there is a need for some cultural literacy some cultural competence and that you know those types of things go a long way to build um facilitate and build trust 
um, that gets you to the word of mouth, right? And, you know, and I, I used to joke many years ago about, you know, I, I'm always, um, um, when I do go out to do recruiting, um, which I don't do a whole lot of, but when I do and I'm like, okay, so this person wants to know more about this school, I literally will come back with a list of like, okay, so John wants to go to Florida. So I'm going to email him and email Alex and I'm going to put them, you know, in an email together and I'm going to do this very personal handoff because I know that they may never find you (laughs) if I don't, (laughs) right? And so, but can we do that for 10,000 students? No, we, it's not realistic. So, so there really does have to be still, um, mechanisms for outreach. And and maybe it really is kind of thinking of, um, you know, the social media, (laughs) social media advising that, you know, we coach the coaches, right? A bit of a train the trainer um, um, rather than just a don't do it because you know how that works. Like don't do it doesn't work. them they're never going to stop so we may as well make it work for us i'm all about that it's not going anywhere so we may as well pivot yeah so uh tony anything else that you think that they should you know we we want advisors to to think about related to kind of diversity and advising well i think i think you just you both just touched on a really important thing and that is is you know breaking the mold of how advising used to be done Um, it's a new day and you've got new students and new generations coming in, and we're still asking them to fill out a form and a clipboard in a in a lobby. You know, I, I think it's it's time to look at social media to advise um, those of you, those advisors that are advisors, should be considering you know blog posts, podcasts, things. Tell us what you know. Um, I think that would make a big difference with with gaining some of that trust that we just spoke about. Um, if we speak your language, you're, you may listen a little, a little better. Yeah, yeah. Got to make it hit. We have yeah. to make it hit. I did a TikTok the other day. <laughs> really? <laughs> I did. I did. And it was like reasons why you haven't gotten into vet school yet. So we're trying. We're trying. And I think, you know, the benefit, social media, I know some advisors are probably listening being like, I am not touching social media with a 10 foot pole. I understand. I really do. The great thing is it is free. It is accessible to, uh, I think 90, it's a, a ridiculous yeah. number. 92% of students have their little pocket in their, their little phone in their pocket. So if we want to reach students, we have to meet them where they're at in their little pocket. And so, uh, that's, it's an opportunity. It is a challenge, but it's, as someone who does it, it is doable. You just have to be willing. Yeah. I mean, I think that this, that, you know, I think that, that, um, an upside of, I mean, there's not a lot of upsides about the pandemic, but an upside has really been, um, the way that we think about accessibility has changed. Now, of course, it also shows us how ableist, raging ableist we were prior to the pandemic, but, <laughs> But that's another podcast. So like, that's another show. Um, but we are using tools in ways that, you know, um, that we didn't before. And we're seeing how effective it can be. So I think that there hopefully are some real 
really great lessons to be learned about increasing access to things like pre-health advising, um, particularly for underrepresented students, because, you know, we, yeah, 97% might have, you know, the phone in the pocket, but, you know, it's almost one in four folks in this country still do not have reliable um, internet access. The digital divide is still a thing. And the idea of thinking about one in four, like, how is that possible? Yeah. All of those, I mean, no offense to the flyover states because I'm an East coaster. We love you flyover states, but like there are some places shoot on the coast where, you know, you can't, you just, it's no, no person's land kind of. That's something that advisors, we should be aware of when we're talking about accessibility and folks who are deaf and hard of hearing or folks who have different neurocognitive abilities. We can't assume everybody is coming in um, as a typically developing high school undergraduate student. And that's same thing with like socioeconomic status. Like there's a list that we probably should all have somewhere on our desk to be like, remember these things. These things can be going on for the student in front of me, not to mention that they could have had a traumatic event happen to them yesterday. And I know I have tissues in my office at any time for those kinds of moments. So advisors, you have a lot. God bless you all. There's a lot that you have to think about that goes on that you have to consider. And so I hope this gives you a moment to think about those things and not feel overwhelmed. It is overwhelming, but just to know, like, these are opportunities to make a huge difference. I know I have a little gratitude folder in my email for every time a student's like, thank you so much. And it does make a big difference for them. A a great advisor definitely can. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, um, sounds like a nice time to also shamelessly plug AABMC's community read, which is the merit myth. We are currently reading the book. Um, discussion is in two weeks, but we are doing now online discussion. So if you are still interested, you can still sign up and read with us. It is fascinating, um, fascinating book, kind of depressing, but a great read. I know that didn't really sound like the best commercial, but <laughs> But it really kind of gets into this um, understanding some of the complexities around how we think about merit. Um, And and those complexities really have kind of created this weird artifice around kind of, oh, this is great achievement. Yeah, but some folks really kind of are able to reach some heights because the system is kind of rigged that way, <laughs> right? And so, um, so it's a it's a really great read as we think about what the future of um, access to higher ed in general, but also kind of the future of of vet meds pipeline as well. So, check it out. So, um, as we get ready to close, uh, Alex, I want you to tell us a bit about underrepresented no more. Underrepresented no more is the movement for all pre-veterinary students to feel that they are represented not only in the healthcare profession, because as a pre-vet student, you they look around in their bio one, two, orgo one and two classes, they are a few of many pre-med, pre-dental, uh, pre-nursing. And so they aren't re- represented sometimes too by like pre-health offices. There's just not a pre-vet advisor, but specifically underrepresented no more is for my underrepresented pre-veterinary students who maybe don't see themselves in the halls of veterinary schools yet, or don't see themselves on websites, or don't see veterinarians in their neighborhood who look like them, sound like them, 
have a similar background as them. And so I was very fortunate in my master's program to have free reign of my project by the end of it and develop this website. And it's a one-stop shop of pre-vet resources, really highlighting success stories from underrepresented pre-vet students, veterinary students, and veterinarians. So everyone can check it out, urnm.org, be a part of our movement. All right. Yes, I have dropped uh, the link into the live chat and we'll be including that information in uh, the show notes as well. Um, and then uh, lastly, Tony, uh, what's going on? What's What are some of the big kind of uh, initiatives that you've got going, uh, you know, in this tail end of what we <laughs> hope is the tail end of the pandemic? <laughs> what's going on with NAHP these days? Yeah, I think the the largest thing, we just hired our technology person. Uh, so we've been a year and a half of my doing double duty as technology and, and executive director. So I'm, I'm so happy to be able to take the tech stuff off of my plate. Um, I think the biggest initiative that NAP is coming up with right now is, is called NAP Education, NAP Ed, um, which is a continuous education for, for professional development and personal development. Um, year round, um, we, we, we will be doing trainings and workshops and webinars and, and hopefully podcasts and all sorts of multimedia ways to help our advisors excel in their careers. Um, the goal of NAPED long term will be certification of pre-health advising. Uh, and I, we, we've talked about this for years. It's about time that we really start looking at it uh, as a reality. So that's the real big initiative is really helping train pre-health advisors. Awesome. Awesome. Exciting stuff for both of you. Yay. So, well, this has been a fascinating chat. Nice, robust, high energy. We love it. Uh, So it's been another great episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air to my guests, Alex and Tony. Thank you so much for uh, stopping by the show today. Be sure to subscribe to uh, the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Yes, yes, Apple people. I am still working on it. Apple is challenging, but it's coming. It's the show is coming back to Apple soon. Uh, (laughs) Hope to get it back up on the platform soon. So stay tuned. In the meantime, uh, definitely check us out on uh, just about every other podcast app. Um, And be sure to like the the show on Facebook under AABMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air. Um, Again, thank you so much to my guests and thanks.